Welcome one and all to episode 107 of the original Draft Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Cox. With me tonight, my co-host, Justin Higdon. And Justin, we're back and we finally have a very special guest. Well, just a guest to begin with, but this one's very special, extra special. We reached out to him before we had even started the show back up to see if we can get him on. It's uh, the one and only Sully Chiefs, Sully Football from from the Twit. Uh, Sully, how are you, man? What's up, boys? Thanks for having me, man. It's been a long time. And and if Sully's on, that means only one thing. We're here to talk uh, either offensive line or how much the Chiefs suck, right? Like, those are the only <laughs> two things you discuss. Dude, uh, people... I, f- I hate that if you're a fan, you can't be, like, subjective at all. Like... You just have to love every move everyone makes. And it's, you know, so if I say anything negative at all about the Chiefs, it's like, you hate the Chiefs from this fan base. It's like, dude, I don't hate them. I'm just telling you, like, hey, drafting McCall Hardman over Terry McLaurin was a mistake. Like, that's something you shouldn't do. I don't know why that's so bad to say. <laughs> and and that's why we love Sully. He's not afraid to say it. He's here to discuss offensive linemen because, as Justin and I have said for years, we understand the testing metrics of offensive linemen. But the minutia, that's where experts like Sully come in. And, and we call him an expert because he played it in college. He understands what's needed to be successful there. And and we lean on guys like him, especially for offensive line evaluation. Yeah, and the thing with, the thing with the offensive line is uh, the first thing we're going to get into is how draft Knicks act when they're trying to evaluate offensive linemen because it's like I've said this on Twitter before it's like no other position in football whenever a draft Nick has a take on offensive line they preface it by saying I'm no o-line expert but dot 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 and they never say that about quarterbacks before they go on a take about so-and-so can't hit their fourth read or go through their progressions they have no qualms about doing that but they they are very, very hesitant when evaluating offensive line. So we want to get somebody who knows what they're talking about on the show. And so, Sully, I'm going to jump right into it. Why do draft Knicks, why are they so hesitant? Why do they preface their takes on O-line like that? Because it's a lot of different reasons, but I think the biggest one, and I'm going to piss a lot of people off by saying this, but look, draft Twitter kind of morphed, I'd say, five years ago from – you know, I like this guy. We're starting to understand the numbers a little bit. You know, people were like Justice and such. We're creating these profiles of, you know, specific positions that have been successful before. And then it morphed into, I know more football than everyone. So, you know, I know the scheme. I know the call. I know how this should be blocked, blah, blah, blah. And the difference in O-line and the other positions are, like, you know, if you want to get that technical with it, you have to know offensive scheme, right? Because, there's so much that happens up front that really dictates the whole play. You know, whereas if you're evaluating a wide receiver, right, if the guy can't catch or you can see that he can't separate or, you know, every time, you know, I don't know, he's in bump and run, you know, he can't get off the line of scrimmage. There's all these different things. It's pretty easy to evaluate those positions. But when you look at offensive linemen, understanding what he's being asked to do is the hard part. So that's where – and also there's these pit bulls in O-line Twitter, right? You got Brandon Thorne and Duke and Jeff Schwartz and these guys that – you know, they call out the bullshit, right? It's, you know, here is a uh, duo and it's not, it's inside zone. Or, you know, they're trying to get run, uh, you know, a stretch play here and that's not what they're trying to do, right? Or, um, you know, a famous one that kind of started a lot of this, right, was 
well, you know, this offensive lineman is no good because he gave up this many sacks or this many pressures. And then when you went back and watched, you know, it's Mahomes bailing out of a clean pocket. That is the reason this guy looks so bad. So there's, it's just a position of, you know, you really do need to know football if you want to get that technical with it. But the problem is just overall, I think, instead of just watching prospects and having fun, breaking down who we think is going to be good, it's just, it's, it's kind of evolved into this, I know more football than everyone. When at the end of the day, offensive line is all about traits, man. Do they have elite traits or do they have traits that will translate over to the next level? And if they do, will they fit anyone's scheme or do they have to be scheme specific? It's not real hard. So you mentioned Duke and uh, Brandon and some of those guys. Charles Bentley was another one I thought about. Um, I've, I've had people refer to them, uh, to me, as the, the gatekeepers of offensive line Twitter. And I thought that was a funny way to put it because uh, it, se- it does seem to me like more so than with other positions when somebody has a take that maybe sucks, those guys aren't afraid to jump right in and, and defend it. You, you also see a lot of O-linemen in the pros push back against things like PFF grades and things like that. So in your estimation, like those gatekeepers of O-line Twitter, are those guys pretty reliable with what they're telling us? Are they telling us the truth? Oh yeah, man. Yeah. Now look, with some of them, you have to understand too, you know, they're also businessmen, right? So they're building a brand, you know, they're, they have turned this into, you know, what they do for a living well-deserved, right? Because they're better at developing these positions than anyone else. So, you know, you have to take some of their takes with, you know, with that in mind. But when it comes to, you know, talking offensive line on, on a social media platform or whether it's on a podcast, whatever it is, right, you're not going to get any better than those guys you just named. I mean, there's even some younger guys who are a little less known, like an Owen Reese. You know, if you want to talk offensive line, he's, you know, he's an offensive line coach at uh, uh, UW-Whitewater, right, really bright guy, understands football, you know, knows offensive line inside now. Uh, Robert Ortiz is another one, young guy, young college coach um, that really understands football. Not as aggressive. Those two aren't as aggressive as like a Duke or a Jeff or one of them guys, you know, when you step out of line. But, um, I mean, look, they know the, you know, when there's no better person to ask than, than a Jeff Schwartz. You know, when you miscall, you know, you mislabel something duo that was inside zone or something along those lines, I mean, he will come out and correct you. And it's because – O-linemen get a bad rap, man. There's so many times things get put on the offensive line, and it's not. And these guys are defensive by nature. And, you know, it kind of that old football, you know, we were talking a little bit in, the, in kind of the pre-show, right, that old, like, the cliche sayings of, you know, the offensive lineman is never recognized until something went bad. So, trust me, man, they kind of band together. They defend it. But, yeah, man, look, they're, they're as real as it gets. Those guys know more about offensive line than I'll ever know. Um, and, I mean, you know, if you want to know some true X and O's, that's where you go. But, again, like I said, there's a – there's a decent little pool of O-line knowledge there and some guys that aren't as aggressive as maybe those those higher-profile ones. One of the big questions and, and things that Justin and I have you know, discussed quite a bit on here is, is when you're evaluating offensive linemen, you, you mentioned it earlier, traits, but how much does athletic like testing matter? Do, do, does that determine whether or not a guy can play or are there like, specific limits that you look for or you know marks guys to hit in order to make sure that they you know they can play i think that's really changed you know over the past couple years right just as more and more has come out i guess in the analytics world you can call it you know people started to see you know what had worked in the past and what traits did those guys have or athletic traits that those guys have that were similar you know where they could create those benchmarks and say well if a guy has you know 
you know, 32 inch or below arms is someone that you can't play a tackle or, you know, if they're three cone or they're 10 or under a one nine or whatever it may be, right. It's those things don't work at the next level, but I still think a lot of that, you know, that doesn't mean a, a guy who's not a great athlete can't work, you know, cause offensive line, you can also win in different ways, right. You can win with your mind and all, but again, they are your outliers and you don't draft outliers early, you know, like Mitch Schwartz is in my opinion, probably the best right tackle of his generation. Lane Johnson might have an argument there. Um, you know, I know Ramchek's younger, but he's, he's going to be in that discussion. And, you know, if you look at Mitch Schwartz's athletic testing, I mean, he looks like a guy you wouldn't have signed in college. You know what I mean? But he was the best right tackle that, that of his generation. So I, I think it matters. But, again, you have to pay attention to what they were asked to do. And really, you know, there's a lot of, you know, conversions happening nowadays, right? Tackles are playing guard. Guards are playing center. And, you know, guys who have a little versatility that can get you by for a game or two at a position, but are maybe better suited somewhere else. Um, so, you know, overall, I would say the athletic testing matters. But again, it, it really depends on what you're doing. Like if I'm a team like the Ravens, I don't care if a guy is not all that agile or a little tight hip like a Ben Cleveland, someone like that, that can fit into their offense and do what they ask him to do. You know, but if I'm going to be, I don't know, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs, I want someone that can move a little bit more because of what we're doing on offense, you know. Yeah, Sully, one of the things I've noticed over the years of looking at the athletic testing is that when I see a, an offensive lineman that has a, a short shuttle that's over five seconds and then a three-cone that's over eight seconds, a lot of times it's hard for those guys to find success. And there are a few exceptions out there. A lot of times it, it, it might be like a giant right tackle or a right guard, somebody who only is firing off the ball, somebody who's like mm -hmm. you would, might, might describe as a mauler. But we see a lot of these guys more and more like this year, we have a ton of offensive tackles that have really what I would call above average to like excellent shuttles, excellent time in the shuttles. And uh, two of the guys that stood out with their athleticism were Brady Christensen from BYU and, and Liam Eichenberg for Notre Dame. They both move very well, but they have short arms. They have 32 inch arms, but these are both like tall guys, 6'6". Six, six, you know, uh, Eichenberg 6'6", six, six, uh, Christensen 6'5". So a lot of times when you have the short arm guys, what, what you see in the media is they want to move those guys to guard. But these are very tall and athletic guys, something like uh, what Joe Thomas described when I, I heard him describe what a left tackle is like, somebody who has basketball player feet. You might say these guys have that. So does the short arm is the short arm thing enough to force the move to guard or do you keep these guys at tackle with their short arms with their athleticism and their height so you know it's a good thing you brought up those two players because i think that's a great example of one guy who needs to make a move and one guy who doesn't and you know some people are going to disagree with me here if you watch brady christensen on tape the only question mark you'll have about him now seeing how he tested athletically is are the arms right so if you someone who can't deal with 32 inch arms or then you don't want him to tackle. That's you just saying, I can't, you know, have an outlier here on my offensive line. Whereas Liam Eichenberg, you know, he has the short arms. And then when you watch him play, you know, he's a two-handed puncher every time, right? He doesn't play with independent hands. So that's something where arm length comes in, you know, it matters even more for someone like him. So for me, I think Eichenberg has to kick down the guard. It's just where I think he's going to end up. Um, you know, I, I guess my, the thing I tell people all the time when they talk about these guys that, well, you know, he can stick a tackle. He could stick a tackle is, you know, you can't watch the film from Zach Thomas, you know, coming out of college and say that he can't play left tackle and watch Liam Eikenberg's film and say he can when really the limitations there are going to be the same. You see what I mean? 
So I think it really depends on their play style. Whereas I think Brady Christensen's a fine tackle. Like I would draft him early, put him at left tackle or, you know, even right tackle, wherever you, you know, both are equally important at these days, right? Put him somewhere, let him stick. I think he's a tackle just by the way he plays, you know, independent hand usage, super athletic. Whereas Liam Eikenberg, you know, not only having short arms, he's a two-handed puncher. That just really limits what his strike range is. So that's where those arms come in. You know, they hurt him even more. Yeah, that really makes a lot of sense. I mean, that, it, it really does show up when he's playing. He does play like a guard. The only thing is he's, he's so tall, and he only came in weighing uh, 306 pounds too. So I think if you want him to move inside, you probably want him to add, add a little bit of weight, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for the weight thing, it's really just about your play strength. You know, um, look, the difference in a guy at 302 and a guy at 312 not too big of a difference. You know, it, I think some people think of guard and they think of like Deontay Brown, right? This big 360 right. pound behemoth where, you know, you have guys who have made, like even some lesser known guys like an Andrew Wiley who made the transition from tackle to guard um, because he was a decent athlete, you know, but just wasn't athletic enough to play out on the edge. And I, I mean, you know, not a humongous guy, not a 340, 350 pound guard and a guy who gets it done because, you know, nowadays, man, God, they're being asked to pull and, they're doing so much more on the interior, and you're dealing with you know more athleticism on the inside now with all these sub packages and crazy defenses where you know a guy who plays edge on first and second down is now playing three tech on third down. So you know a little more athletic body in there in that three hundred five, three ten range, I'd be perfectly fine with it. And look, he's athletic enough to add ten more pounds and still be a really athletic guard. You know the one thing I love is that uh you know that RAS score, the relative athletic score website, and you can change the position. You know, so you can take Liam Eikenberg from a tackle and put him at a guard to see how he matches up with guards, and it's phenomenal. When you look at and and start to identify these traits, and, and you brought up things that, I mean, Justin and I, I'll be honest, we'll never discuss two-handed punchers. I mean, like, we just wouldn't. And so when you, when you discuss that, when you, you know, look at those things, what – what are the traits that help you identify a sleeper? Uh, you know, two of the guys that you were really high on um, were Quentin Spain and, and Wyatt Teller. Like, how yeah. do you identify those guys being guys that can play in the NFL? Dude, they, so those two in particular, and, you know, I loved Billy Turner coming out of North Dakota State a couple years ago. I think he's still starting somewhere in the league. Um and those guys made, like, no, number one, they were football players, right? When you watch their film, they play football. There's a guy this year, uh, Sardarius Hutcherson out of South Carolina, same way, right? He's a football player when you watch him play football. But they had, you know, people got really tricked by, um, you know, Quentin Spain in particular because he was playing left tackle on West Virginia's funky offense, right? But that guy was a guard. He was only playing there because that's he was their best lineman, so that's why they put him out there. But it's those elite traits when it comes to punching. Can they move guys? Um, you know, what do their feet look like? You know, and then for them two in particular, right, they were guys that were going to play inside in there in, in the guards. And Wyatt Teller was, I mean, you could see it on film. He was an athlete that was playing guard. Like, I mean, I, that guy looks like a, you know, he's built like a, a defensive lineman and had that type of agi- agility, that type of jumps. I mean, I know he tested that way. So for him, you know, when you're looking at the trade right, I think you're looking for, you know, our guys, do they play with independent hands? Can they move? Can they get out the snap? Um, you know, you can fix things like stance. You can fix things, you know, how high they play. You know, can can they open their hips and move when they need to? And can they punch and play with independent hands? Because here's the thing. You're never going to turn 
a non-puncher into a puncher. It doesn't happen, right? If you remember a couple years ago, everybody under the sun loved Cedric Abway, right? And I was against him from the jump. I told everyone, this guy cannot play. And look at him. He, he turned into a nope. The reason is, he wasn't a puncher. And you have to be able to punch in the NFL in order for that to work. So you're never going to take a non-puncher and turn him into a puncher. So for me, it always starts, right? Feet, hips, and hands. If they don't have those three things, they're not going to be successful. And that's how you can look at some of these guys you know, that are a little lesser known, you know, the fourth or fifth round, um, you know, in the traits, like I said, the, the feet, the, the hips and the hands. And then for me, you know, my last thing I always talk about all the time, you know, I joke with Jinx about this one quite a bit is, you know, show me the bad film. I say this all the time about him. There's a couple guys this year where people aren't that high on him and it's like, okay, where's the bad game? Where's the bad series? Where are these bad plays? Show me the game where, you know, he went up against a first rounder and struggled all day. And a lot of times they can't produce that. So, you know, you're you're boxing guys in and, and because, you know, maybe they're 6'2 instead of 6'4 or, you know, they're 290 instead of 305 or something if we're talking about centers. And, and again, for me, it's, you know, show me the bad film. That's what I'm looking for. So, for me, again, do they have consistent film? And then feet, hip, and hands, man, it's pretty easy. So, so uh, before the show, Seth and I put together our lists of our top five offensive linemen in the class, regardless of, of position. And uh, so we want Sully to look at our list. We want to, we're going to run through, and he's going to tell us where we're right, where we're wrong. And then Sully's got a list for us, and he's going to tell us about some guys that aren't getting enough buzz but should be more discussed. Maybe guys that end up like Quentin Spain and, and Wyatt Teller did. So we'll start with uh, we'll start with the number one offensive lineman in the class because Seth and I had the same guy, and we both have. Northwestern's Rashawn Slater at the number one offensive lineman. And for me, Slater's one of those guys that you, you were just talking about where he doesn't maybe have the ideal size. And I even see like NFLDraftScout.com is putting him at guard. And I see mock drafts putting him at guard. But I think he can play tackle. I think he has sweet feet. He's got all the athleticism. His arms are over, they're right at 33 inches. So he's, he's about 6'4 with 33 inch arms. But the guy can really move, and you watch him. His highlight game is the one that everyone knows about last year, 2019, against Chase Young. Slater's my O-line one, and where a lot of good people, I think, have the guy from Oregon. Yeah, yeah. He, he would be offensive tackle one for me. Um, I think he's the best tackle in the draft. He's the offensive tackle of the future, man, right? It, they're going to become more and more athletic as the league trends towards – you know, Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson and, you know, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson and these Justin Fields, these guys that are coming out where they want the versatile quarterback, the guy that can move the pocket, can do all these different things. And, you know, we talk about this all the time, you know, in, in some of our group chats when we were looking at these offensive tackles for the Chiefs. It's like, okay, we like this player. Do we trust them, you know, dropping into pass sets while Mahomes, you know, is in a five-step drop that turns into a nine- and ten-step drop? Can he block on an island? That gets that long. And Slater can do all of that. The people who think he's going to go to guard, I, I think we're running into another case of, and you guys will remember this one from last year, was the Tristan Warps deal, right? Where, like, everybody all of a sudden started to overthink him, like, two or three weeks before the draft. And was he going to be a guard? Was he going to do this? Was he strong enough? Was he that? And it's like, dude, this guy's elite football player, right? Like, he's going to go play tackle in the NFL, and he's going to play it for 12 or 15 years at an elite level. He's a guy that doesn't come around very often. And to me, I think that's Rashawn Slater. And I think he's better than Sewell. I agree with both of you. Because 
while Sewell's a great player and all, the biggest thing you hear about him, right, is that he's 20 years old or whatever his age is, right? That's it. It's the upside. It's the upside. It's the upside. But he's not as good of an athlete. He doesn't move nearly as well as Slater, and he doesn't have the play strength as Slater does either. So I agree with you guys there. And, look, everybody wants to move everyone to guard. You don't move Rashawn Slater to guard, right? You move uh, – there's other guys. There's other tackles you move to guard, not him. My my number two guy, and, and I have Sewell at two – but my hesitation is what you kind of just talked about with Slater. Slater's looks like the the tackle of the future when you're talking about guys. I mean, you have Pat Mahomes. I have Kyler Murray here. Like kings of leaving clean pockets, right? Like <laughs> your poor offensive lineman. You're like, oh, oh man, their offensive line broke down again. They're running for their life. Then you go back and watch. You're like, what the what the hell were they doing? Like, what? Why'd you leave the pocket? And so when you look at a guy like Sewell. I got Baker Mayfield over here, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So just a less less athletic version of those right. two. Yeah, we know. <laughs> but when you look at Sewell, is isn't that the concern? Is that if you have a quarterback like one of these younger guys? I mean, we can even put Josh Allen in there. He's a little bigger and stronger, but still bails out of clean pockets. Isn't that the concern of a guy like Sewell who maybe needs a more classic kind of Tom Brady type quarterback that that will stay in there, hang in there, and wait for his guys to get open. He could, but I think you know that's he's getting overthought a little bit too in the, in that regard, right? And, and a good example is the one I just mentioned, right? Mitch Schwartz has been the best right tackle in football in Kansas City with Mahomes drifting out of bad pockets, and he was as athletic as us three on the phone. So you know, it's not like it's someone who you know. I, I think he's. When you look at him, you're looking at him and comparing him to Slater or even like a Tevin Jenkins and saying, well, he's not that. But, uh, you know, he's still elite. It's just, you know, again, Slater comes around once. I mean, would the guy run like a 4-8 or something? You know what I mean? It's That that guy doesn't come around very often. So it's not that Sewell can't move or that he can't play with that style. It's just there might be a guy that's a little bit better this year. And I think that's shocking some people because, you know, he's been expected to be the number one or number two, you know, top five pick for – really the last two years. So all of a sudden Slater kind of came out of nowhere and, and, you know, had that amazing workout, had the great year and then amazing workout. So I think people are just kind of a little shell shocked by it, but it doesn't necessarily mean it still can't move or can't play in that way. It's just, there's just a guy that's a little bit better right now. So I've got Sewell as my O-line three. Um, and I, maybe I'm overthinking it too much. You can roast me on this, but I, I know Sewell was recruited. He was a right guard in high school. And every time I watch him play, I think of a guy who in, look, would look more at home, like on the right side of one of the, what you just referred to, I think, as a, like a more conventional type of offense. You think about like a, a like Baltimore, where they have that they rely so heavily on the run game. If you had Sewell over there at right tackle, right guard, I felt like that's his best fit. And I just felt like the whole time watching Sewell, all. You know, ever since last summer when he started getting mentioned as a top five player in the draft, I couldn't get out of my head that this guy didn't seem like a left tackle to me. He seemed more like a right tackle or a right guard. Am I going too far with this or, you know, should I relax and just trust trust the process? I think you should just relax and trust the process a little bit, man. He's just, <laughs> he's, he's just built a little different. He's kind of squatty, you know, and like. I remember we talked about Andrew Speed a little bit in the pregame show. Like, the way he was built, people just assumed bad athlete. You know, because he kind of had the big hips and the big legs. And, all. and Sewell's just built it. Like, 
Rashawn Slater looks like a bodybuilder, you know, so you're immediately, when you look at him, you know, and you look at Sewell and Paz, they just don't look the same. So you're probably overthinking it a little bit, but I, look, Sewell's elite. Like, I, I think he's going to be a guy who turns out to be a fine left tackle for a long time. You know, I just, in my opinion, I prefer Slater. I think he's, you know, a Tristan Wirfs type that comes around not very often, and you got to get him when you can get him. And I think this is just a this is just a really good offensive line class overall. But the next guy, the the guy who's my number two, is another one that people seem to be all over the place about where he's he's going to play, and that's Elijah Vera Tucker from USC. And in fact, he played left tackle mm-hmm. in 2019, and then uh, left guard in 2020. I think I have that right, or mm-hmm. it was either that or vice versa. So he's played both spots on the left side. He's almost universally slotted at guard where where would you play him so i'm a little bit different on him i i love him as a player right he's a great player uh i he's he's a finesse player like he's not you know he doesn't have that nastiness and you know he's not finishing guys all over the place like you know some of these other ones are so for me i I think he can stick at tackle again for him you're you really just don't like the arm length because the film is fine you know so your 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 beef with him is just you know the arm length now the question becomes kind of like a zach martin or one of them do you move him to guard and have a all pro guard for you know his whole career or do you leave him at tackle and have a really good tackle for a long time but you know where i would like him i want him on my offensive line because i can punch him in at right guard or left guard and have a you know uh, an all pro all pro caliber player, and know that you know if Eric Fisher goes down for the Super Bowl, I have a guy that can slide out there and play, and I'm really comfortable out there too. So um, I like him as a player. Just for me, he's not typically one of my favorites. I'll say like I think he's going to be fine and be a starter and all. It's just not really one of my favorites because I prefer I like those nasty you know just the Tevin Jenkins types that just want to get after it for four quarters straight. And AVT's fine. He's a technician. He's awesome. He's just, you know, uh, the type of player, I guess, aesthetically, I'm not that big of a fan of just watching, but uh, he's going to be a good player. I'm just not brave enough solely to have put my favorite offensive line prospect, Tevin Jenkins, higher than three. But Jenkins is, I mean, you you, you just mentioned it. I mean, he's, he's nasty. He's a mauler. I, I compared him, you know, stylistically to like Ryan Ramchek, like guys that they're just, they're just there to fight you for four quarters. I mean, mm-hmm. they they may lose a they may lose a rep or two. I mean, it's going to happen all the time, but they're they're going to beat you up for four quarters straight. Um, where I know he played right tackle at Oklahoma State, but you think he can play both tackles, correct? Absolutely, I think he's the best run blocking offensive tackle in the draft too. So he has that upside there. He's mean. He's nasty. Uh, I think he can play left or right tackle. I think he's got the most upside of any tackle in the draft because I, I think he's always going to be a better run blocker than you know the three guys probably that are going to get drafted ahead of him, which is Slater, Sewell, and Darisol. Um, so you know I, I think he's you know, like if he makes it to 31, I'm going to be jumping for joy. Like I'm going to be sprinting around my neighborhood naked because I we got him. Um, and then watch Brett Veach will draft you know some other tackle who stinks which with his track record, but uh. I, look, man, I think the guy's an absolute stud. He's just really overshadowed this year because, look, I mean, Sewell's been expected to be a top five pick for the last two years, and then Slater is that elite athlete that only comes around every couple of years. But I think someone's going to draft Tevin Jenkins and be really happy for you know the next 10 years, and specifically 
what he brings in the run game is something those other guys just don't have. So I have Jenkins as uh, my O-lineman number five. And, and I think he, you know, he played right tackle. I, I really liked watching him play. And one of the things I picked up along the way from people that know how to evaluate offensive linemen better than I do is that uh, Jenkins was able to combat and, and make up for the his lack of length by the way he attacks the defender's arm. And it, mm-hmm. a, there's a really good breakdown of it with him going against uh, Joseph Osai from Texas, a guy who, a pass rusher who has those long arms. So to see Jenkins like really attack those arms and force Osai to kind of reset and not let him get, not let him take advantage of his, of his length advantage. It was really cool to see that. Um, I, I thought Jenkins, you know, I, I guess my lazy take was that he was a right tackle, but I like, uh, you know, the passion that you're showing for to advertise him as a player who could play everywhere. My fourth offensive lineman, I think, is a guy that you like too, and that's, um, but he didn't test. He he was hurt. He was banged up, and that's Virginia Tech left tackle Christian Darasaw. And with Darasaw, he's got kind of the ideal left tackle body, and he looks like he has the the left tackle, the basketball player feet. What's your take on Darasaw? Is he ready to go? Is he ready to step in and start right away? I worry about Darasaw, man. Um, so. If you remember right, I don't ever like to claim I'm first on too many people, but I was definitely first here. Like I was, you know, tweeting to Dane and and Matt Miller and those guys months ago about him, and everybody was like, "Well, let's see if he comes out." And then he came out, and they everybody had him in the second round, and all of a sudden he was top fifteen, and he's got everything you want, all of it. But I I don't I, when you watch him play, like when you watch the film, he's just I don't know, man. He's kind of lazy, you know. He's half effort a lot of times he's not really a big hustler you know whereas like i think you could say the same thing on some games like a jackson carmen from clemson but i think that had more to do with that you know wacky offense they run at clemson and how much they asked him to run so i think he was just worn down all game whereas Darisol's just really kind of lazy and then he didn't test you know so it just makes you wonder a little bit there um i think he's boomer bust man you know like i i just wonder does he look i don't want to say like that type of stuff right i mean will he play hard enough you know every game every play to realize his potential because on film like he's noticeably lazy which is never a good thing you know what i mean like those are the kind of things that are like it's always hard to turn someone around on that um now he may have just been bored this year you know virginia tech wasn't great you know maybe realizing he was just itching to get to the draft that can happen to some guys he's got everything you want i mean he's a great puncher he's a great athlete he's huge he has the right body type. I mean, he can play in the run game, play in the pass game. He can do everything you want him to do. I just, I mean, it's like noticeably lazy on film in so many different games. And that just worries me because sometimes those guys don't work out very well, you know? Yeah, I mean, I talked to Sully. Uh, it goes down in the DMs with Sully. And <laughs> that's that's actually why he didn't make my top five. Um, not because of what he can't do on the field because as Sully said like he's got all the talent in the world you just I think when there's a question and and, I mean none of us ever like to question anybody's effort so like I don't want it to seem like we're calling out that but like when when there's a question of whether or not a guy is gonna you know 
play at 100% all the time, especially a guy that big. And then you do have to worry about things like weight in, in those situations. It all it all makes it easy it makes it easier for a guy like me to be like you know what i'd rather you know take an elijah vera tucker who's completely like a 180 different player uh but i know what i'm gonna get from him um or you know so tucker's my my number four and then you know my number five sam cosme out of out of texas who again not the not the specimen of a derisau but somebody that I feel like you can trust a little more um, if you're taking him day two than you are a Darisau in the top 20. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, Cosby's played a ton of football. You know, he's been, I mean, he's been starting for them for a long time. He's like, I I don't think anyone saw him testing the way he did. Like, it's a little wild how well he tested compared to what you thought he was going to test like, you know, from watching his film. Um, He's a good player, man. I don't have anything against him. You know, I just don't like him as much as some of the other guys. He doesn't, you know, he's just kind of steady. Um, he does fit into my category of show me the bad film a little bit. You know, I mean, you can find some bad plays here or there. But for the most part, he was pretty steady. Played a lot of football at Texas. Um, you know, didn't see a whole lot of great competition, but whatever. You know, uh, I, I mean, a guy that can play some football, I don't know that I'd have him in my top five favorite, like offensive lineman or anything, but – Look, if, like, the Chiefs take him at 31, I'm not going to be upset. I mean, it, it is what it is. I just – I think he's a guy who will play in the NFL. And, uh, you know, if he's on a really good team, he's just a guy I think you're always going to be looking to upgrade. But, um, you know, you're comfortable with – like, similar to, like, what Eric Fisher was, right? Like, we were comfortable with Fish at left tackle for years. And if we ever would have had a chance to really upgrade that spot, we would have. And I think that's kind of what he is. You know, I was going to say with Cosme – he's out there you'll see plays where he's just out there pancaking guys left and right and then uh you'll see a couple of reps where he's in pass protection and he gets he he seems to struggle a lot with the inside move mm-hmm. and I, I get a vibe from him like a jason spriggs not quite that bad because he would just get his feet <laughs> tangled but um or like a colton miller a guy who has all the athleticism in the world he's capable of those big time finishing blocks but then he kind of gets tied up when he's faced with a guy who kind of has a counter move to go against him if he's rushing from outside in. And that's where I saw Cosme struggle. I still think he's going to be a, a top, you know, a, a day two grade for me, but it's because of his athletic potential. And I just, just real quick, just to defend Darisaw a little bit, um, <laughs> he was, he was, uh, he, they found out that he had a groin injury, he had like a core muscle injury. That he was playing through, and I think that's ultimately why he decided not to test. But you didn't you didn't hear much about it. But he, I think he did miss a game early in the season uh, with that, and uh, but he did come back and play. So I, I, he, you're right. I mean, he does have some reps where he just looks like he's kind of uh, malingering out there. But it it does seem like he was possibly playing through some pain there. And it might have been, you know, it's weird. It was such a weird year, 2020, where you could say it might have been better if he just had uh, opted out. out. Right. Yeah, right. This was the yeah. one year where guys could opt out and almost get a free pass on it. Well, with him, though, he's a little bit of an unknown, you know, so he kind of needed the year um, to really just prove that he was a first rounder. Uh, again, 
dude's got all the skill in the world, man. It's just, you know, for me, like I said, I just can see on film where, you know, he looks a little lazy in some spots, but that sure. doesn't necessarily mean that that's, you know, who he is or, you know, that he wasn't playing through an injury or anything like that. Like, I'm telling you, you can watch the Clemson film and say the same thing about Jackson Carmen in some games, but for him, that's just me giving him the benefit of the doubt, kind of like you're doing with the injury of, I mean, if you watch Clemson's offense, man, it's all these screens and everything. The guy, right. the, guy, the guy was running a marathon every game. So by the middle of third quarter, I get why he's, you know, hands on his hips. And if the play ain't coming his way, he's kind of hanging out a little bit. Right. I get Car- it. I get it. Carmen's <laughs> a guy, yeah, Carmen's a guy who came in to, to college. He went weighing about 350, 340 pounds and yeah. w- got down to like 315. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, yeah. he was really he was really doing his uh, cardio all throughout well, the game. To play that offense, you have to, man. So you've got a list of guys that are, I guess, are underappreciated. Yes. People that aren't getting enough buzz. We're dying to hear this because uh, we, you know, who's the next Quentin Spain and the next Wyatt Teller? We've got to know. So I got a handful of them here, um, and these are guys I like. So uh, hang on here. Let me make sure I get this thing pulled up. So um, first for me is Deontay Smith from ECU. We talked a little bit in the, the pre-show about him. Like, if you like football players, then watch this guy. He's an offensive tackle at ECU. He's probably got to kick inside the guard at the next level. He's a little light, but the dude's a football player. And I think he's one of them guys that can play guard and get you by at tackle for a couple games if you needed him to. Um, he's going to stick, man. He's nasty. He finishes blocks. He plays to the whistle. Uh, he's really good at getting to the next next level, you know, of a, of a defense, right? He's great uh, blocking that linebacker level. Um, I think he's scheme versatile, right? I think he can play in zone or gap. There's just a lot to like about him. And again, he just reminds me of that Wyatt Teller, those guys that were. Scott, I'm not saying he has that elite. Like Wyatt Teller was an elite athlete who just needed to learn how to play football. That's not what Deontay Smith is, but. Uh, a guy that'll stick because he understands, you know, he's just a football player, man. I really like him. Um, you know, I joked around in the pre-show, like, if you like football players, that's your guy. Everybody should go watch him. There's not a ton of film out there, and as you guys know, it's harder and harder to get nowadays anyways. Um, so you're not going to get a whole big sample size out of him. I know a few people saw him down at the Senior Bowl and loved what, you know, loved what he did down there as well, too. Um, I think he's probably got to go to guard. He's, you know, he's going to be a decent size, you know, longer guard. He might be able to put on 10 more pounds or so. He's kind of got a thin frame for his size. So I think he's got some room to grow, man. And again, dude's just a football player. He's an ass kicker. I mean, he really is. That's my number one. Uh, number two, the guy I don't think enough people are talking about is Sardarius Hutcherson. So he's six foot two, and that's his problem. Like, that's why I don't think a lot of people are saying a whole lot about him. If he was six five. You'd be talking about a top two or three guard in his class. You want to talk about effort, that's the guy. I mean, he is to the whistle every play, always getting after it. And, you know, you always hear this term about offensive line, right? Do they find work? And he is a guy that finds he finds work every play. If he's uncovered in pass pro and he's just kind of standing around, you know, if I'm if you're a defensive tackle, watch your ribs. He's coming. Like, I love the guy, love the way he plays, loves how he finds work. Six foot two, worrisome. I don't really care about that on the interior. I think he's going to be a guy who kind of like in that AJ can mold, you know, where you don't hear a whole lot about him, but he's been, a, you know, he'll be a starter for a number of years and, and, uh, and play some decent football. Um, number three on my list is Ben Cleveland. My favorite offensive lineman in the draft uh, off the field. Um, just if, if you guys seen this dude, he literally looks like the mountain from game of Thrones. 
He's like six foot seven, three hundred and fifty pounds, has abs, he's gigantic. He's like a Georgia boy, hunts all the time. He has a knife that he uses to clean his teeth in between practice. Um, they said he used to come to team meetings dressed in all camo with his face painted black because he had to go hunting after the, the, the meeting and stuff. I absolutely love this guy, and he's really good at football. Um, he's built a little funny where, like, his upper body looks like a bodybuilder and his lower body looks like a guy who skipped leg day, which he obviously didn't. Um, they thought he was going to break the combine record for bench because at one point, I think it was when he was a freshman, they, uh, they were doing the bench press competition, and they stopped him at 50 reps on 225. So, dude's like a freak of nature. If he ends up somewhere like Baltimore, because that's what will happen, right? He'll end up in Baltimore or somehow New England, somewhere like that, and they'll know how to use him. Just in, And then on top of that, like talk about a fan favorite. Like, who doesn't want like a big-ass six-foot-seven, you know, camoed out. Just, he killed, one time he was hungry, so he killed squirrels out of the tree out back, skinned them, and ate them as a snack because he didn't have food in the house. Like, who doesn't want that protecting <laughs> the quarterback, right? As soon as I saw him, I said, Mahomes needs this bodyguard badly. This guy's uh, a first-rounder in my book. <laughs> I, I absolutely love Ben Cleveland. Like I, He's my favorite player in the draft. Um, another guy I like way more than others, uh, and a dude I mentioned earlier, Owen Reese, used this term with him, is Trey Smith from Tennessee, man. He gets guys blocked. He was hurt. He, I think he had COVID. He had all these different issues going on. I know he had like some blood clots uh, in the past. So he's had some health scares and stuff. But he was like a consensus five-star offensive tackle, like going to be the man. And then a lot of things went wrong for him. And now he's a guard. And uh, I think he really helped himself because people were questioning, was he athletic enough to play in the NFL? And he tested as like one of the greatest offensive guard prospects of all time when it comes to like relative athletic score. Like he is in the top 10 or 11 ever for an offensive guard. He's got the size. He's got the athleticism. He gets guys blocked. I think he's nasty enough. You know, he's got a, a mean demeanor. Um, he's someone for me that if I had to pick a guy this year, that's my Quentin Spain or my Wyatt Teller, the guy that goes like round four, round five, somewhere like that, finds some playing time as a rookie, and then all of a sudden starts getting talked about in that group of like 10 to 12 best guards in football. That's Trey Smith for me. Again, show me the bad film there, and you can't find it. Like it's – just because it's not always visually appealing, he gets his job done, man. Like, he always – he gets guys blocked, and that's very, very important. That's my guy this year that's, like, the late-round guy nobody's talking about, you know, that I think is going to become, uh, you know, a decent player. And then number five on my list, the guy that I'm sure nobody's really heard of that is going to freak people out is Kendra Green, so from Illinois. He's probably got to go to center maybe because I think he's only, like, 6'1", 305. So, he's, you know, he's definitely on the smaller side for an offensive lineman. Dude, I think he only ended up playing in seven games this year. If you watch his film, he's got, like, some Quentin Nelson-level plays on film. I'm talking about freaky, you know, pancaking safeties 20 yards down the field, taking, you know, one tax and driving them eight yards and flattening them into corners that we're trying to, you know, pursue across the field. Dude's got some freaky, freaky, freaky film. And then on top of that, he tested. Now, you would expect, like, you can't be 6'1", 300 pounds and not test well, right? I mean, he tested, like, off the charts as well. So, I just, I'm telling you, man, that guy's going to go, like, round six, find his way into someone's rotation on the interior offensive line, and then he'll be starting in year two. 
And I just look. I know he's. I know some guys who he's working with right now that talk pretty highly of him. There was a viral video that went around on Twitter. Uh, I don't know what that exercise is called where like someone holds your feet and you know you you like lay yourself flat a half inch from the floor and then sit yourself right back up. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like a reverse sit up kind yeah, of. Yeah, those are like the hamstring the, that, the, the hamstring, hamstring curls. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He he did that at 300 pounds. That's incredible. Like, it's the dude is like a freak of nature, and I'm telling you, man. He's got some stuff on film that nobody else has. I'm talking about any offensive lineman, any position in the class. So he might have to go to center. Somebody might have to teach him how to snap and make some calls, whatever. Um, I just I know he's a little small, but if you watch what he does on film, dude's got some stuff, man. He's, he's got some juice. And that, that's my five. Uh, that's great stuff, man. Um, I know I when you talked about Trey Smith, I really like him a lot as well. I think he's a day two player, and um, I think uh, one of those four old school scout guys. I think it's Dan Shanka is really high on Trey Smith and has really been like p- pumping him up throughout the off season. So and that's a great call when you're talking about the the next like Quentin Spain. He he's got so much athleticism for a guard. I mean, you you could even think about playing him at tackle with the level of athleticism that he has. Um, and, and he can, he can move. He's not just a guy who's, who's just strong or explosive, but he can actually change direction and move. So I really like those calls. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd say, I guess my last hot take, uh, you know, just talking guards is my, my offensive guard one. Cause I went back through and watched some guys, you know, in preparation for this and just so everybody understands, I don't talk about guys I don't watch. So like, if you ask me a question about a guy I haven't really seen a whole lot of, I'm not going to, like the Spencer Brown guy from UNI, I'm not going to pretend I have film on him. Dylan Raddance, I never saw him. There's no film out there. Quinn Miners, how do you have film there, you know, if you're just a guy who kind of watches like I do? But Alex Leatherwood going from tackle to guard is OG1 in the draft for me. I would take him day two and plug him in at right guard and have a 10-year all-pro at guard, I think. I think he's got that type of – if you can get him from – not having to worry about guys bending an edge on him for four quarters and just let him play football straightforward. I think you have like an elite offensive guard there. So for me, he's OG one. And that's kind of my hot take this year is I think that guy is getting, he's really going to get overlooked. I hope he doesn't go to like a dumb team, like the Texans or something that's going to try to make him play tackle. Um, and I hope he ends up somewhere like the Patriots who will use him the right way. And I think he's going to be a really good pro. That's not the only hot take from our uh, our guest tonight. We got uh, one more hot take from Sully coming right up. Finishing off the night with another hot take from our guest tonight, Sully Chiefs at Sully Chiefs on uh, on Twitter. And, and this isn't a hot take. This is just a true statement, but it, it, it's also a hot take. Um, around the NFL, tweeted out potential first round cornerback Caleb Farley. On medical checkup, the NFL doctors confirmed I'd be ready for the season. To which Sully accurately replied, nobody used to have a bad back. I mean, we've talked about this for a while with Farley. Like, I don't, it's not that I think he's bad, will be bad, can't play. I just don't know how you can justify taking this dude in the top, like, I, I would say even like 60 picks. How can you project that he's going to heal from a back surgery they just had? And I'm seeing him linked to teams in the late first round, including 
Cleveland Browns, who definitely could use a cornerback to help finish off their defense. But it doesn't seem to me that a team um, with Paul D. Podesta in the front office and Andrew Barry, a, a money ball team, for lack of a better term, would be wanting to spend a first-round pick on an injured cornerback. You can't project. You know, the prognosis is the prognosis. Say, when's the last time you heard of a surgery that wasn't successful, right? It's all about the rehab to the surgery, and not enough time has passed for us to know. I'd be really wary picking Caleb Farley. And I mentioned this before, when it comes to backs, we had this back when Rob Gronkowski got drafted. I think that was in 2010. And uh, I think that's a different situation because Gronk had sat out the entire season because he had the back injury and then was rehabbing it. And he still felt a day two. This is a guy in Farley who opted out so that he could prepare for the draft and then just had the surgery just recently. So, yeah, I think... It's very, very risky for me to take this guy in the first round. And we've seen cornerbacks like uh, Sidney Jones comes to mind. He had a knee injury, and he was being hyped as a first-round pick. Not nearly the athlete that, that Farley projects to be, but falls today too, and, and just it just took a while for him to get his footing in the league. So I, I, just, I would be nervous about picking Farley at this point. Yeah. Nobody used to have a bad back. That's all it's saying. My friend uh, Eric Stoner came up with, told me that one years ago, and that's the truth. You've never met anyone that said, yeah, I used to have a bad back, but now things are better. And for him in particular, like I saw the term sciatica floated around. Sciatica sticks with you, man. Like that can flare up at any time, you know? So I, I just, that's why I tweeted that. People don't really like that I say those kind of things, but yep. and I, I always keep it real. And the sciatica has to do with, uh, uh, for those that don't know, it's a nerve that, will cause pain to shoot down your leg. So it's it's no joke. I mean, it's it's something that will lay people up. And, um, you know, it, it, and it does take a lot of rehab to try and get over those types of things. And you're, I, I would say that you're never really in the clear. Sully, before we get you out of here, man, anything else from you? Um, we appreciate you coming in, teaching us some things. Uh, and, and really kind of just giving us some fantastic information. Nah, man. Appreciate you guys having me. Anytime you'd like to have me back, let me know. Uh, and, you know, don't be afraid to talk O-line. Don't be afraid to put your takes out there. Um, you know, they might come for you, but as long as you can back it up a little bit, you're all right. Just don't pretend to know Scheme better than anyone, and you'll be, you'll be just fine in O-line Twitter. <laughs> Follow Sully at Sully Chiefs, and uh, trust me, good follow, and you'll get a, a lot of entertainment out of that. Um, thanks this week to our patrons, our new patrons that signed up this week. Um, we had some rating or uh, some rankings posted last week on the Patreon on the Patreon podcast. That was for running backs, receivers, tight ends, and that is in the two dollar a month tier. I've also got my full. Um, quarterback rankings posted now too so we're going to be uh talking about defensive ends and defensive lines on this week's patreon show and we'll be getting more uh full rankings posted as well in written form so uh, go ahead and sign up it's two dollars for the sh for the extra show four dollars for all extra content and for those of you that are already members we appreciate you greatly you help us run the show and put it on every week 
And thanks again to Sully uh, at Sully Chiefs on Twitter. He's the man. We really appreciate it. Um, and we'll be back uh, on Thursday with another episode of the original Draft Breakdown podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. What do you guys think for the outro for now? Um, I mean, I don't know yet. We pro- we might be able to record something. We can for now. We could do. Um...